Welcome to Circular Firing Squad. I'm Marty Jensius, a counseling faculty at Kent State University and host for Circular Firing Squad. We've got four members, four questions, and four answers for each question. Questions are generated by each squad member and run from the serious to the silly. Let's see who's with us tonight for this episode. Hey, everybody. My name is Mitch Conrad, and I'm a counseling graduate student at Cleveland State University. Hey, folks, Jen Cook, Associate Professor, University of Texas at San Antonio. Gina Martin, Assistant Professor, University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Mitch, you've got the first question. Sounds good. My first question is, there is a counseling conference going on in Ohio, AOCC, and I'm wondering, what was your first experience like at your first professional conference you attended? It was a while ago. I mean, let's just, let's face it. It's been a minute. I'm not even sure what, which one was my first one. I'm thinking that it was Rocky Mountain Aces when we were in Breckenridge back in the mid 2000s. That's what I'm thinking, maybe 2008. I'm not really sure, but I'm going with that. And interestingly, it was my first time presenting at a conference as well as attending it. Um, I was surprised because I'd been to conferences in my previous discipline and people would really dress up, but Rocky Mountain Aces, y'all, like this is the place of cowboy boots, jeans, hats, like the whole nine. And I was really surprised by that, Um, which was, of course, followed a few years later when I went to my doctoral program of going to SACES, which was what I had expected I would see at Rocky Mountain was suits and ties and the whole nine. So it was a it was a surprising experience. I presented at that conference. We were in an 8 a.m. time slot, me and two other master's students and one of our faculty. And really the only people who showed up were other faculty from my institution. So um, it was a little bit uh, lackluster in that area. Um, however, it did uh, land me a TA gig the next semester. So that worked out well for me and really helped me to discern that I wanted to become a counselor educator. So That was my, what I remember to be my first uh, counseling conference experience. Um, I think I remember being in Breckenridge far more than I remember what went on at the conference, to be honest, Um, because Breckenridge is just such a cool place to be. And I mean, I lived in Colorado and before for a long time, so I'd been there a lot. So it was a really fun time to go. Mine was Chicago Aces a few years back. And I remember it so clearly. Um, I was also presenting for the first time and I was a master's student. Actually, I think I was in my first semester as my PhD. Um, and I was te- I was presenting with a number of faculty from my master's program. And it was in Chicago. So I'm from Chicago. And I was in Iowa at the time. So I came home and it was downtown and I'll never forget it. I had all my professors from my master's program there and all my mentors and everybody that I had, you know, gone through the program with who was attending ACES was there. And then I had everyone in my doctoral program from Iowa and I had all my faculty from Iowa there and everyone got to meet everyone else. And it was this just great, like all of my worlds collided in one and I was in my hometown. So, um, and it was like a perfect time because I had only been away for a few months at that point. So I had come back and it was just a whole lot of fun. And I remember thinking at that conference, I think I'm going to like this profession. <laughs> I think I'm going to like this gig. 
And uh, sure enough, the ACES conference is always one of my favorite to go to every year. Mine was, I, I just looked it up while we were on, because I couldn't remember what year it was. Actually, ACA has a list of all their conference cities back, I think, to 1953, because I couldn't remember what year it was. It was 1995 ACES, or ACA, excuse me, in Denver. And um, I went there as a graduate student, and uh, I was just uh, really focused on my presentation. I really did not connect with people around me. I think I spent more time in my room trying to go through my presentation and get all geared up. When I walked past the room that I was in, I'd look in and there would be like eight to 10 people in there. It was a room set for 180. I know they told us that and they said, you need to bring enough handouts for everybody. And so of course I made 180 handouts. And then when I came to show up and do my presentation, the room slowly filled up and I had standing room only. The topic of my presentation was chaos theory and counseling. And you have to realize, I don't think of ideas to, to speak on because I'm ever informed by the literature. It's just ideas that kind of pop into my head. I put together a proposal and then I try to do something different each time. I did this presentation and I guess I, I put something together that drew people into this uh, idea of looking at how chaos theory fits within counseling. People were interested and fascinated. I got rid of all my handouts. I had a list of handouts that I needed to send to people who weren't there. I was nervous as hell. And none of my faculty from my institution showed up to see me. Kind of impacted me about not only my sponsoring faculty at the institution where I was getting my doctorate, but also the importance of supporting doctoral students in that process. Started off with the conference and while I, or started off with the presentation, I got in there early preparing. Somebody came in and raised his hand and said, are you going to talk about and, you know, said some really esoteric thing. And he was well educated on it. And I thought, you don't need to ask me that crap before I'm ready to present for the first time in a large room of people. And uh, my way to respond to it was to say, you know what, when it comes to a point in my presentation that I think it'll fit, I'm going to ask you to stand up and tell everybody about that, which got me off the hook of having to not know something about what he was eventually going to ask me about. So that was my first conference presentation. Well, thanks everybody for, for those answers. I, I, I'm going to be uh, at the All Ohio Counselors Conference. So this, this was a little bit of a selfish question because uh, I'm presenting for, for the first time and it's going to be my first time at a conference. So it's, I'm glad to hear that everyone else uh, presented at their first conference as well. Um, I've been really looking forward to, to going. Um, I'm not exactly sure how one is supposed to operate at these conferences. Uh, they've got, you know, daily workshops, they've got pre-conference workshops. Uh, it all seems a little uh, strange. At least they uh, do give you a schedule. So I'm, I'm happy about that. I did make sure to register for the workshop that I am presenting at and not, not change, not change that time slot, but um, yeah, super excited to go. Going to be presenting a poster on human trafficking and then doing a uh, presentation uh, with 
uh, two other faculty members, one from my university, Dr. Stacey Lee Tom on human trafficking. So really looking for looking forward to a good time. Congratulations, Mitch. And you should check out, we have a um, human trafficking lab at our uh, program here in UTSA. Um, that's some of our faculty um, have a real passion around that. So not to give a plug to UTSA, but um, you might find that interesting. I'm up with the next question. And I'm curious, what's one thing that you've been success- successful with getting unstuck at? Um, it could be anything. It could be personal. It could be professional. Um, but What's one thing that you've been able to get unstuck and how did you do it? Okay. So my first thought, honestly, on this was, wow, that could go so many different ways. Um, and we're going to try to keep it, you know, PG for, for our editors on CFS. So mine would be stains. I'm really good at stain removal. And this is something that has been a new found joy for me. As a parent, um, the number of food and substances that I have been able to get unstuck from clothing and or couches and or walls uh, and flooring and carpet is amazing. Uh, I never knew that this was a hobby until I my uh, young one, she took up uh, loving lipstick and lipstick is really, really hard to get out of things. Um, and I have been really successful at getting that unstuck. So that would probably have to be mine. I am I am like the in-house stain remover whenever anyone gets a stain. And even now this is extending to like the neighborhood. So like whenever anybody gets a stain, they're like, can Gina get it out? I don't know. We're going to find out. So I am really good at getting those things <laughs> unstuck. And that's really all I could come up with. But you name it, like dog vomit, um, lipstick is a big one, nail polish, that's been a challenge, but it's it's great. Strawberry juice, blood, everything, anything. So how many times do you get to listen to a podcast where somebody uses the words dog vomit? Here's your opportunity. You've just heard it come out of uh, Gina's mouth. Not dog vomit, but the word. You know, the question was, what have you been successful at getting unstuck? And for me, it wasn't that I'm necessarily successful at or good at it, but I had a, a situation occur and the the squad knows this story or knows some of it, um, where I was responsible for working with a student who was falling behind on their skills and was not being successful in practicum. So I said I'd do some individual work with her. I needed to portray a client, and I don't do that very well, So I, and I don't think it's fair to the student. So I said, I'll be me. I won't make it difficult, but I'll be me. And I talked a lot about stress and, and difficulty in work, and the student said to me, well, why don't you do some mindfulness stuff? Now, let me tell you, if that's all you got, and that's what I hear from a lot of students, if that's all you got in your holster, Man, you need to retool because it's, you know, if uh, if mindfulness is your only hammer, then everything looks like a nail. So uh, I said, okay, I'll shut up or put up. And I started meditation and she thought that would be kind of cool. And, you know, maybe I could. So I, when I get into something like a hobby, I go full in. And I found a, a group online 
that is Buddhist that meets every morning and they sit on Zoom with each other in silent meditation. And so I started doing that twice a week, three times a week. She was a little shocked when I came back and she thought I was kidding her that I, that I was seriously doing it. And that got me unstuck. Now I'm not, I'm not necessarily good at it. I probably should be more consistent at it, but that took me through a a real difficult time with a diagnosis of cancer and through that successful surgery and remission from it. And I don't think I would have the same sort of worldview, mind view without having that experience. So I never thought I would be successful at it, but it did. I did get unstuck in it. I got unstuck just at the right time. All right. So full disclosure, I have a very large head. Um, and when I was a child, uh, I still had a very large head. And in my uh, first house that I can really remember, this was back in uh, the early days, so to speak, in Ohio, we had a banister that ran up the stairs. And there were poles going from the kind of top of the banister down onto the stairs. So I can, I, I imagine people know where I'm going with this. I got my head stuck in Mitch, these banister Mitch, poles. <laughs> this is a Brady Bunch show. I mean, come on, Mitch. Oh, this is, it's, it's comical. Like this is, I remember there was, there may have been melted butter to try to get a head out of a banister. Um, but like we all live and we all learn and we all, you know, we all find out that we're growing people and sometimes our heads can't fit through small tight spaces. And, uh, that was my lesson for that day. Um, so, uh, that was my one time that I was successfully able to get unstuck from, uh, a banister. Uh, so I'm one for one, which is a hundred percent betting a thousand, very happy to, uh, you know, I, I would say that I am proud of that. I'm really grateful to this day, Mitch, that you're not walking around with a banister strapped to your shoulders. I mean, that would be really awkward for you. Um, I don't think that I anticipated that anyone would take the literal approach to this question. And evidently, you know, we're we're 50 percent. Uh, there's four of us here and we've got we've got dog vomit, blood and lipstick. And then we have the banister incident. Um, I was, I can't even stop laughing. I'm dying at both of you. I like the banister incident. <laughs> the banister incident and the, the community stain removal. I, I just, I'm really having a moment over here. Um, I was, I was more in the metaphor of, of being stuck when I wrote this question. Um, I was, you know, I was thinking about, you know, the times, you know, we kind of get in that loop of, you know, I can't do this, or I don't want to grade, or I don't want to write, you know. And, you know, I've I've had a lot of those. I, I, I'm i stubborn. I'm an only child. I don't know if anybody's like figured that out, that I can be a little bit, you know, a little grab on, you know, and don't let go, a little bulldogish. Um, And, you know, that happens attitudinally too for me. And, you know, I've had many of these moments where I've had to kind of out crazy the crazy to get myself back into routine. And a lot of times what does it for me is music and switching up music, using um, breaks with music. Um, I remember when I was taking my statistics series when I was in my doctoral program, I couldn't focus on it. I didn't care for it. It was very challenging because I found the instructor 
incredibly troubling. Um, just really didn't want to explain things. So that put me in a really um, sourpuss mood, I would say, to do the work. And so um, I had a lot of ABBA dance breaks when doing statistics. He made us do them by hand. And so I would, because ABBA is like one of the most crazy things I can think of to channel that energy into. And so I would be in my pajamas in my living room, having an ABBA dance break in the middle of my statistics homework, just so that, you know, I didn't have a multiple, multiple regression fit because I was very close to that. So music's just been one of those things that when I have to out crazy, the crazy break the stuck cycle that a lot of times that's my way of approaching it. I really appreciate these. I, Mitch, I just so connect with the banister incident. Recently, Millie also got her head stuck between a fence at a public garden and she was screaming. She was so panicked. And it was like my husband, who doesn't have emotions, he took a picture while she was screaming. And then he took a video of her screaming. And then he pulled the things apart so her head could come out. So that's his, what he's really good at getting unstuck. <laughs> so you have that in common. The Don. I love the Don over there videotaping and then pulling <laughs> apart the bars after he's got his photo op taken care of. Making memories. That's right. That's making memories. Yeah, you pay for their therapy when they grow up anyway. So That's right. That's right. So we'll, we'll move forward to the next question. Uh, what is a daily routine that you couldn't live without? I, um, I, you know, I immediately thought of mornings, uh, and, and I've been away on a trip and I miss this, uh, I get up or Aileen get a, gets up about the same time in the morning around five thirty six, And the first person downstairs makes the coffee. And then we go on to feed the dog, let the dog out. And sometimes one of us gets down long before the other person does, but we get down. And even if I've gone down and come back up and started to work, uh, I go back down and we sit and have coffee together in the front room. Yeah. Yes. I'm from the Midwest. We call it a front room. And, uh, we sit and just talk about what our day is and what's going to happen and what's, what the plans are. And I realized this because even on my trip, I would be in the hotel room early in the morning. I knew Aileen was up. Aileen knew that I was up. So she would call and we just sit and do the same thing but just not in the same place in the front room. So we sit there and eventually our disobedient dog comes in and sits with us. And, and that's just kind of nice. I almost feel like I should be totally literal after what uh, you and Mitch just did to me, Gina, uh, with like the daily constitutional or something. Um, but I, I think I have to go with, with the coffee. Um, I have a lot of routine around coffee, whether it's coffee when I start in the beginning of the day at home. Um, when I leave the house, I, I work from home a couple of days a week, but on the days that I leave the house, there are specific rituals around where I get coffee and when, depending on which of those days I'm where. Um, a lot of my day and the way that it functions is centered around coffee. And even now it's what, 7 p.m. or central time, and I have my homemade cold brew. So you know, there, this is the evening coffee when interacting with others. It's the homemade cold brew. I'll go with taking a shower. It seems so innocuous, but every day I need it. I have to have it. And if I don't have it in the morning for whatever reason, if I happen to be running late, the rest of my day seems ruined. I am, it, it is, for me, it is like my coffee because it wakes me up. I take scalding hot showers. 
it wakes me up. It gets me ready to go for the day. If I can't get it in, I feel just kind of, you know, I feel a little dirty. I feel a little like, uh, you know, where'd my energy go today? You know, it's the one thing that I feel like I need to have each day to function correctly. For me, it's um, Panera coffee. So this recently formed when I moved to Wisconsin. Um, Before that, I had all sorts of rituals around coffee. And then when we moved, it all changed and shifted. And I joined the Panera Sip Club. And (laughs) that really transformed our mornings as a family. So every single morning, we drag the Don and our five-year-old to Panera just to get my coffee. So it has become like a family ritual. No one else gets anything. And I just get my coffee. But we have a great like 10 minute car ride all together, where we're usually blasting music and she sings songs. And it's become like this big family routine. And I feel a little selfish because it's all about my coffee. And no one else gets anything. And they just are kind of along for the ride. And I don't even drive. So it's it's really perfect, but that would be my my Panera coffee every morning. So, so Jen, have you had to change your patterns moving to a new location of where and how you get your coffee? I have, um, because now, because I when I'm working from home now, I have a patio, and I also don't live where it's 20 below now. So I get to go to my patio. I water my plants and have my coffee in the morning. It's delightful. And when I'm when I head to campus to down, I'm on downtown campus. We have another campus that's right next to me, which is the main campus. But when I go to downtown campus, I get Starbucks on the way there because there's a Starbucks drive through on the way. But then once I get to campus, we have Java City Coffee on campus. And that's where I get my cold brew for the afternoon. Eileen and I were just talking because when I was gone, she reordered another box of coffee because we always seem to run out near the end of our monthly delivery. And I reminded her that we have 144 cups that get delivered and we run out before the month is up. And Mitch, one last thing, hot showers will not shrink your head uh, as much as you might want to do that or change that hot showers. But I'm a shower person too in the morning. It's like, I try to avoid taking them, not because when because I'm not around people until later in the afternoon, but I cannot get through a day without without taking a shower. I've got the last question of the group, and that is, what is the best historical story about psychology or counseling that you love to tell? I am legitimately drawing a blank. I, I can't think of anything. I, I don't. I, I've been thinking about it since I saw the questions yesterday, and I don't usually th- even read them. And I can't think of any of them. Maybe it's because. I've never taught theories or something, but I don't have any really great, like, I mean, unless we want to talk about, you know, the relationships, all the therapists on the Gloria tapes had with Gloria. I mean, that's all I've got for like weird ass, historical, funny, weird stories to tell about psychology or counseling. So the one that has always stuck out to me because I just, I I go back and read about it often. And I just think it's insane. And every time I read about it, it's like, this is even more insane than I remember is the Stanford prison experiment. The idea that people volunteered for this for $15 a day, like, would you go to prison for $15 a day? No, like, no way am I going to prison for $15 a day. And just the, 
it was supposed to be like this this you know potentially two week thing and it you know something like that would would never happen today but just that that story is just insane to me that that those people uh would kind of you know be at such odds with with one another and and something that they knew was was an experiment um i i do wonder what that would be like in today's environment if someone tried to like secretly carry out that experiment obviously it would be completely unethical and i am not suggesting that someone do it stanford prison experiment part two i'm not not saying that um but just i i always go back and, and think about that one in terms of like the the research that we that we do in in modern day and the the ethical importance of of, of what we do uh, but just just crazy to me that they that they did that. Mine is actually similar, Mitch. Um, I couldn't really think of any either, and I feel like the stories that I tell put my students to sleep. So there's that. Um, and I realize I may not be the best storyteller about historical psychology things, um, but recently I I was tasked with teaching the research course at our school. And I have been doing a little bit of research on like historical experiments and things like that and the purpose of the IRB and whatever. And we had um, our main chair of our IRB come and speak in our class. And after that, I told the story about the Milgram experiment, which similarly to Mitch, really unethical, just a lot of horrible things. And what fascinating results. I did notice like two or three students dozing off. So it might be my favorite, but it's not for everyone. It's a research course. Students are supposed to doze off. I, I, you know, I was thinking Milgram. And by the way, if you like Milgram, and there's even some references to the work of the Stanford prison experiment, I think there was a movie done on it. But if you want to take a look at Stanley Milgram's work that encompasses around uh, that you you should take a look at a movie called Experimenter, which kind of encompasses his life in all the different kinds of social experiments he did, besides the um, the experiment around shocking people for not answering the right questions. I bring this question up only because I get to teach advanced theories, and with advanced theories, we get to go off in a lot of different pieces of work. And the one that I bring up is, uh, and, and I have some of the books that are, are reference it, is uh, the planaria uh, learning. Uh, planaria are flatworms that if you cut them up and regenerate, uh, if you cut them up, they'll regenerate. So you cut their heads off, the body will grow a new head, the head will grow a new body. And this was back in the 70s. There were um, people who were studying this, particularly in memory and learning. So they used to take these little flatworms, they're about an inch long, and run them down a maze and have them turn right for food and left for shocks or whatever. But they trained them to run and, and, and seek the right direction. And they got a threshold of it, and then they cut them up. And they let them regenerate to see whether or not the regenerated parts would be successful in turning in the correct direction. Sure enough, they were. The problem is uh, they couldn't get the stuff published anywhere. So the guy who created it 
decide to start his own journal called the Worm Runner's Digest. It, it's brilliant because um, it's a, if you can, I used to, as an undergrad, go back in the stacks and look for these things. But what happened is people tried to replicate it and what they couldn't be successful with the research. So they were sending him research where there were unsuccessful results. So it was like in a book format. If you imagine uh, holding a book in front of you and then turning it and flipping it over on one side, if you opened it up and page through it, it was the Worm Runner's Digest. If you flipped it over and read the backside of it, it was the Journal of Irreproducible Results. So what happened was there was suddenly a journal for people to send in irreproducible results because our journals won't accept those things. And um, people started sending in joke studies. So one of the studies I remember, because I was working in a physio psych lab back in the 70s, one of the studies I remember is learned laziness in dead pigeons. Well, this was when we were dealing with adolescents and the concept of adolescents learning laziness, because if they smoke pot, they'd become lazy and they'd learn not to be productive. And we we're also very much into Skinner. So they decided to combine the two ideas and they put a, uh, they showed these graphs where birds would learn to peck for food. Then you would eviscerate the birds, put them back in the cage dead. And they would show zero lines on the Skinner box. So they were proposing this whole thing was learned laziness because they were dead. Um, that later turned into a humor journal. You can look for readings from the journal of irreproducible results. And I think it's just great because there's just not a lot. We, we take ourselves too damn seriously in this field. And we really need to have something like a, a humor journal. So I tell that story. Uh, whenever I get a chance, students uh, don't fall asleep on it. Um, and I have a copy of uh, a book called The Worm Returns, which are stories uh, from the Worm Runner's Digest. And, and also I have copies of uh, the uh, collections from the Journal of Irreproducible Results. So that's a story I'd love to tell. comes from my experience in working in a neuropsych lab you know, the Milgram stuff is really fascinating. The The Stanford prison experiment, really fascinating. Even though the ethics involved are questionable, you can't get that kind of information without that kind of deception. And that's what's incredible about it. I'm going to have to start introducing the Worm Runners Digest in my research class to keep them awake. So thank you for that. Seriously, okay. what a story. Well, yeah, and I was also thinking, has anybody tried to, in our field, uh, publish something there for promotion and tenure? Because I have a feeling that my my promotion committee would probably get a real kick out of that. Well, here's the thing. Most of the articles written in uh, the Journal of Irreproducible Results have pseudonyms. So it's like, hey, I want to put together a humor journal. You can't put your name on it. Your committee, you know, your committees aren't going to approve it. Um Will you spend that extra time just writing writing together funny studies? So uh, th I'm saving that maybe for my retirement, but because uh, I, I won't need to worry about what I've published after my retirement. So that's the question, except we got one final shot question. What's your favorite pizza toppings? Well, I'm going to be honest. I pretty much like them all except for green peppers, even though I like raw green peppers. I don't like them on pizza all warm and weird, but 
if I'm only if I'm getting to select, um, I am having sausage, canned mushrooms, not fresh, and green olives. So this this question is is sort of funny because over the past year in our department, we've been having a very heated debate about what the most important part of a pizza is. Is it sauce? Is it toppings? If it is toppings, which topping? I think just like normal pepperoni for me is is just it's just right up my alley. It's boring, but I mean I'm I'm down for any kind of pizza anyway. So it, it doesn't really matter. But I, I'm I'm a sucker for just you know just the simple ingredient ingredients. I like a white pizza, I like margarita pizza, and pepperoni is just fantastic. For me, it's pepperoni and jalapenos. Um, however, lately we have been eating very sad pizza because my child is extremely picky. So she eats pizza without anything on it except sauce, just extra sauce. What is that? Yeah, I agree. What is that? I would do I, I thin crust. Um, generally, when I order one, I have to split sides between Aileen and I. My side includes sometimes sauce, but light if I can do it. But I like to include barbecue sauce on it. Um, mixed in with sauce or barbecue. Jen, stop giving me that look. And uh, green peppers, Jen. I like green peppers. And then three varieties of meat generally involving chicken, ham, and sausage in a combination. So it's it's got a lot of protein to it. So that's your pizza if you come to my house. Uh, in, in Chicago, however, deep dish. We will find deep dish. I will cherish deep dish and live deep dish. Thanks for the firing squad, Gina, Jen, and Mitch joining us tonight. Look for some of these characters on their own podcasts on the podtalk.net. Find out more about them at circularfiringsquad.net. Hey, you might want to check out the tech savvy professor, Eric Perry, who's usually on this uh, podcast is part of that. And we have a good time talking about technology that you can apply either to your home or to your, to your academic role. Our theme music is from Menage a Quad, Real Swing Chef. That's it for this episode of Circular Firing Squad. Ready, fire, and aim.